the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A gun is a tool, Miriam. No better, no worse than any other tool. An axe, a shovel, or anything. A gun is as good or as bad as the man using it. Oh, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes on me. I said you're Welcome to the main event. I am Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. And I'm filling in for Ed Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation. He'll be back next week. I do need to make my normal disclaimer that as I am not a professional radio talk show host, no, I'm actually just a regular person just like you. But I'm very politically incorrect. And I have a big fat mouth. And I'm not afraid to use it, which of course makes me the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But before we get down to business, I do need to highlight the main sponsor of the show, and that is Summit Funding. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call Ed Hoffman at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with Ed and you don't want to talk on the phone, Go to edhoffman.net and click the Summit Funding logo. That will take you straight to Ed's lending page. And if there's any part of the show you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net and click on the podcast page to listen on demand anytime. You can also get Ed, the main event podcast, on SoundCloud or iTunes. Be sure to connect with the show on social media as well. You can follow Ed on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where he tweets about current events all week long. And like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. With me in studio today is my favorite co-host, <laughs> Jody Swan. Are you sure about that? Well, I'm not completely <laughs> sure, obviously. Jody Swan, a.k.a. that conservative girl. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back. You know, the one thing I was thinking about as I was driving over here this morning is I feel kind of privileged and humbled that we share the same radio platform as some of the greatest talk show hosts For in sure. history. Rush For Limbaugh, sure. Dennis Prager. I mean, during the week, you hear just amazing intellectual arguments, philosophical debates, those sorts of things. But it must be kind of a shock when you turn on the weekend and you hear Scott telling Monica Lewinsky jokes. <laughs> I know. Well, the first time that you invited me to co-host this show with you, I was so excited because I grew up listening to talk radio. My mom was a talk radio junkie. Now I'm a talk radio junkie. And so just to be on like conservative talk radio was thrilling for me but then to be you know where they broadcast rush and larry and like all these guys that i just so look up to is and now you're right there with them (laughs) you know it's it's interesting somebody asked me the other day they said you know do you prefer doing stand-up or talk radio and i said you know i think stand-up is actually easier because talk radio you don't get any feedback we have no idea who's listening we have no idea the response do they think i'm funny do they think i'm stupid oh my gosh Speaking of that, yeah. I have to tell you, do you remember that one time we got a message from that lady, Fran, and yes. she was and she was just saying how much she loved us? Yes. Well, I was listening to the radio this morning, and a Fran called in to Brian, 
Oh, uh, oh yeah. really? And was talking about how great their show is. And I thought, how many friends are there that listen to the station? Is she cheating on us? Mm, she might be. She maybe might be. she just likes all the shows. Maybe well, we're not really that great. Maybe that's all she does. Fran, <laughs> Fran, hello, if you're out there listening. Yeah, hi, Fran. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> We have a lot of topics to get to today. I wanted to jump on one topic right out of the gate, though, and that is my, my thinking at this point is that Trump will win election for a variety of reasons. Number one, the economy. It's very strong. We've got a record stock market. Uh, number two, the current Democrat lineup is just awful, and we'll be talking about the later on in the show. Um, number three, the country's just not that far left. A lot of the proposals and policies that the current crop of Democrat candidates are putting out there is just it, it's getting more extreme by the day. Number five, Democrats that put him, but basically it was Democrats that put Trump in the White House. Don't forget this. And this, this I think is an important point. I don't hear this said enough, but it wasn't Republicans per se who put Trump in the White House. It was Democrats in swing states, Democrats in Michigan, in, in Wisconsin, Ohio, and Florida. These were people that voted for Obama two times before, but now switched their vote for Trump. I don't think those people are going anywhere. That's a very good point. Yeah, I, I think so. And then and then also my final point, which is going to lead me into my next guest, um, is I feel the never Trumper movement is dead. Um, and I brought on I wanted to have on a, a member, former member, Kermit. I don't know. He'll he'll tell you in his own words of the never Trump movement. This person is a former nationally ranked debater, policy debater, uh, theology professor, at John Paul, the great Catholic University, and currently getting his Ph.D., at the University of Dallas in political philosophy. He also happens to be my son, Nicholas McAfee. Welcome to the main event. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. And by the way, my son back. reminds me a lot of Ben Shapiro, except he has facial expressions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Appreciate it. So let's, let's talk about the, the state of the Never Trump movement. You considered yourself a Never Trumper, along with, by the way, other hosts on this show, formerly Ben Shapiro, Michael Medved, as well as others. So what do you think of the Never Trumper movement? Is it still around or is it done? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's definitely hard to, to speak about it as, as a movement properly, and in part because, you know, it wasn't the largest body of people. I mean, there were definitely some large voices like Ben um, and others, but I think the, the biggest way to look at it now is just kind of to split in half kind of the sort of productive voices and the unproductive voices. So obviously, you know, it goes without saying um, a lot of people who had you know, anxiety, um, serious concerns about Trump, about his electability, about his, his character, about his policymaking. Um, some of those people, uh, whether it was their original intent or they kind of fell into it, um, kind of have revealed themselves to be grifters, uh, whether it's because um, they've just signed, you know, fat contracts with various mainstream media outlets. But um, once they got an audience uh, largely among progressives, um, for bashing Trump, for being that Republican that could bash Trump, um, I think too many of them got sucked into that as their new calling in life. Uh, so it's unfortunate to see a number of people who I either previously respected or I still respect some of their work, people like Bill Kristol, uh, Anna Navarro. Um, there, there are a ton of people who were the loudest voices of Never Trump that uh, it's hard to say, have contributed anything meaningful to the national conversation, even if you're a conservative um, who, you know, like myself, had serious problems about Trump. Um, it's fair to say that uh, that those people are the unproductive voices. Uh, there are others like Ben Shapiro, um, like uh, Ross Douthat at The New York Times, who I think have been more um, willing to do what 
the whole idea was about originally, at least to me, which is call Trump out when he's actually doing things wrong. Right? We don't want to have to tie ourselves into into knots defending every last thing he says, uh, but also be willing to to praise him when he does something right. And I think for a lot of people, uh, Ben Shapiro included, uh, the name Never Trump is no longer as useful. Uh, in part because I think in some cases we're willing to admit where we were wrong. I think uh, his judicial record, especially, is something that was much. It has been much more positive than I think anyone could have predicted. But um, but I think a lot of their their original criticisms are still valid, uh, even if the name itself, I think, as you pointed out, is uh, no longer really helpful for for anyone. Okay, well, and I guess of course the word the question is does never mean never. And I'm going to come back because I want to ask you what what your personal view is. Would you support Trump in 2020 from somebody who didn't support him in the last election cycle? But some of the names of people you mentioned, I'm, when I hear those people talk then as well as now, it's kind of like, boy, who needs people on the left when we have you know when we have those people? You know what I mean? They're they're definitely not helping. And I'm kind of like, well, what do you actually stand for? And I, I I'm sure you can find fault with the president on on numerous issues, but. But overall, he's done a pretty damn good job. Uh, in your estimation, do you think that's true? And, and ultimately, the big question is, would you, will you support him in 2020? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the, the easiest place to start is just like, what, what were kind of the central issues with Trump going into 2016? And how have they panned out now? And, and to me, one of the biggest ones was electability. You know, I think uh, I knew plenty of people, uh, I think at one point, yourself included, who were voting for Trump and genuinely thought, he was probably going to lose. So um, if you if you had Trump winning, congrats to you. You were in a minority. I think even among Trump staffers. Uh, so it's important when you when you make a decision to support someone politically with your vote, with your public voice, uh, that it's actually going to you know try to produce something meaningful. So I think looking at at 2020, I think a lot of of, of people who did not vote for Trump on the right, uh, like myself, are much more likely to. Uh, simply because, yeah, I agree with most of the reasons you said he is far more electable, I think, in the current climate than he was uh, even in 2016, uh, which was in its own little way a kind of a kind of miracle. It was a, a surprise for, for most people. So electability was one one immediate concern. I think the second one that still definitely stands, um, a lot of people on the right uh, who had problems with Trump still want to take advantage of the opportunity that he presents uh, as a kind of um, – kind of opening the air, letting some air in, in a bunch of uh, Republican uh, orthodoxy, so to speak. You know, are we willing to consider uh, putting American workers before uh, big corporations, big tech? I think some of those questions are huge and important. It's great that Trump has raised them. But if we don't want uh, serious thinking, serious policymaking to, if we want it to actually happen and not just not just be a, um, a blip on the radar, I think it's important to have a positive narrative about what it what it actually means to America, make America great again. And I am still concerned that Trump himself, uh, as a man, as a tweeter, uh, does a lot of harm to that. I think we're at a, at a point where, as you mentioned, the Democratic lineup is terrible and they're willing to tear each other apart. And I think one of the few things that can actually um, uh, give Democrats back a kind of um, a kind of moral high ground, because if there's one thing progressives are good at, it's sensing hypocrisy. Uh, it's it's these random Donald Trump tweets at, at just the most inopportune times. So, uh, yeah, in terms of his policymaking record, I think there's a lot to be said that would make someone like myself uh, much more um, serious about the possibility of voting for him. But with Donald Trump, you never know what's happening next week. You never know what's happening next month. Uh, I'll be I'll be watching seriously. Um, but I think we have to as concern as people who vote for Trump. 
um, I think you, you still seriously have to ask yourself the question, you know, when, you're, when your, your teenager asks you, hey, you know, um, we're Christian, uh, you know, but why, why, does, why is Mr. Trump uh, okay with saying certain things? Why is it, is it all right that he, he, you know, has been divorced so many times, like so many people on the right, and this was one of the things that I think irked me and others like me more than anything, were just willing to just gloss all that over especially a lot of prominent religious figures, just ignore all that. Um, so a lot of those questions still remain. What is the future of the conservative movement? Do we have a positive message, or is it just uh, you know, resisting the left, opposing the left, important stuff? Uh, but it won't be enough in the long run. Okay. So those long-run questions, I think, still have me have me hesitant. All right. Well, that's fine. I personally like the tweets and I like the unpredictability as well. And that's what I think is keep the keeps the left at bay at this point. Jody, a question from you? Yeah. Well, I mean, and first off, too, and I, I know it's cliche, but I think, you know, we we were electing a president, not a pastor. Right. And I go to church with a lot of people who have been divorced several times. And quite frankly, some of them are really really, really good people. I, I know people that don't go to church that have been divorced several times and they're they're just good people. They're there for you. I, you know, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. And I also know people who um, are married and have worked on their marriage and which not knocking that at all. I believe everybody should, but they're kind of trashy people, kind of, you know, the people that I wouldn't want to, sure. so, you know, so I, I just don't know if, if that's a good bar for deciding who should be president, because maybe his personal life is messy, but at the same time, he's done incredible things for the country, you know, and I, I think that speaks to what you said, his electability this time around is, has skyrocketed since 2016, because now he has proven himself. And like, for somebody like me, who didn't support Trump in the primaries, I was a Cruz voter. But of course, I got behind him a 100% um, in the general election. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I was just worried because there was no track record to go on. You know, there, there was no voting record. That the, but we knew he was a businessman. And we did know that Hillary Clinton was like the worst case scenario. So I took a chance in my mind versus voting for something that I knew was absolutely going to be a train wreck. So his electability factor is just way higher this time around because he's proven himself. So I, I would wonder, you know, save the tweets aside, what criticism do you have of him now that he's proven himself? Yeah, well, I think it's not, I think the tweets are, are um, yeah, a, a few few definite good points there. Um, I think, yeah, the point about never Trump's concern with his character or just any people on the right concerned about his character is not so much. Yeah, you, know, you want to be realistic. Sure, um, we shouldn't pretend that many of our politicians, many of our best politicians, are good people. Um, but that's not to say that you know being a, a statesman, being especially the way that the office of the president works now, I think uh, not only someone's character in terms of their actions, but also the way they project their action. You know, it's one thing to, of course, um, you know, of course, to, to to go through divorce, to have have a messy personal life. Uh, I do think it's another in the case of Donald Trump to, to you know say publicly multiple times that you know there's nothing that he uh, he would repent for. Um, that's to me an essential part at least of of um, of Christianity uh, is not merely yes we've we've made mistakes but it's 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 kind of repent. So without going down that rabbit hole, I think <laughs> I think the character concerns <laughs> do matter, sure. okay. and I think a lot of people definitely kind of uh, make it sound as though he can do no wrong. Um, but I think I think to your point about 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 his actual record, um, I think if I had to level, 
you know, one primary criticism, uh, I think that there is something uh, seriously concerning about some of his uh, his statements regarding um, uh, certain leaders like uh, Kim Jong-un uh, regarding uh, and, and again, some of this is, is Twitter based. Some of it actually plays out in policy. Uh, for better or worse, um, a lot of policy that I would have desired, like overturning health care, uh, Obamacare, hasn't actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at what we do have, uh, I think it's unfortunate that um, you know Trump has said some rather oddly, awkwardly glowing things about Kim Jong-un. I think his conference with uh, Putin was, was optically disaster, and so much of the presidency is optics. I hate to say it nowadays. It really is. Yeah, it is. You're right. Uh, so obviously I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that, that he's, he stood firm on certain sanctions regarding Russia, I don't think we know the end of the North Korean story in this presidency, so I'm still waiting. But, yeah, I think on on the foreign policy front, there's been a lot of lack of clarity, which is really important for our allies, for for our alliances. Um, I think that's really concerning. Uh, And then I think there's just a lot of wasted opportunities, wasted opportunities on healthcare that weren't all his fault. Um, But, again, when you – you know, the national news cycle, uh, the way elections play out is very much based on on Twitter. It is a, a big, a big thing, what, what he's projecting. And in the middle of, you know, AOC fighting Nancy Pelosi, you know, you have an opportunity to, to capitalize on a Democratic dissension. And suddenly we have the president maybe gloating over Elijah Cummings's house getting attacked. It's like, what? Like, really? Like, is that is that what we want to turn all the cameras to? Like, come on, you know? All right. Well, Nick, That's it sounds like deal. we can definitely count on your vote in 2020 then. Otherwise, you'll be thrown <laughs> off the will. Anyways. <laughs> all right. I'm going to have to let you go That's now. Baltic. So we got to got to roll on to other topics. No, but thank you, for, yeah. thank you for chiming in. We'll have Thanks, you on again. Nick. Of course. Yeah. All right. Bye. All right. Our first topic, uh, topic number one, it's all Trump's fault. Obviously, we had two tragic mass shootings in America over the past week. And surprise, surprise, it's all the president's fault. The first shooting, which took place at an El Paso, Texas, Walmart, killed 22 people. The shooter's insane manifesto, 2,400 words long, referenced a variety of concerns, one of them being immigration. And so the left has declared that this shooting is the president's fault. The second shooting at an outdoor nightlife district in Dayton, Ohio, killed 10 people. On Twitter, that shooter called himself a leftist, complained about Trump, supported Elizabeth Warren, and encouraged people to cut fences of immigrant detention centers. One of its one of his tweets said, I want socialism, and I'll not wait around until the idiots finally come around to understanding. But ignore the facts on that. Just focus on El Paso. That's what these 2020 Democrat candidates did. He's trying to intimidate this community. He is in large part to blame for what has taken place. It was sowed by those who spoke the same words the El Paso murderer did, warning of an invasion. It's both clear language and in code. This president has fanned the flames of white supremacy in this nation. Comments on that, Jody? I mean, it's it's kind of well, you know, we had that first clip about a, a gun being as good as the hands that it's in the man that's using it. Right. So you you have a flaming leftist who committed one of these horrendous shootings, but they don't want to talk about that. You know, it, it's got to be Trump's fault. It's got to be Trump's fault. Well, I think making this whole thing political is disgusting. Um, Biden claims that Trump speaks in code. Where to get that idea from? Maybe from this nutty MSNBS contributor, Frank Figluzzi. <laughs> it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Eight, eight. 
Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 together stand for Heil Hitler. This comment is so stupid. (laughs) That I, I have a hard time even responding to it, but I am going to come up with my own schoolhouse rock jingle for the number eight now. I'd love to hear Eight, that. it's a racist number. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a racist number. I had no idea that eight was a racist number, Jody. Did I you didn't know that? I either. And he's like, it's the little things. This is so little that it's not even a thing. Like, it, it, nobody knows about that. Okay. I want to know what moron came up with that. You know, because somebody had to think that, oh, how can we make this racist? Uh, Let's figure out hate and H and Hitler and Heil. Hey, we got something here. Unbelievable. (laughs) And you know what? If Trump had waited to lower the flags to another day, then they'd be they complaining. With, I was yeah, going to use another like, word. They'd be complaining about that. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. That means the swastika then. I mean, yeah. they come up with some nonsense. Yeah. Here's some of the president's response to the shootings and just how racist he is. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry and white supremacy. Well, and although liberals want to ignore it, he also addressed the role of firearms. We must make sure that those judged to pose a grave risk to public safety do not have access to firearms, and that if they do, those firearms can be taken through rapid due process. This is a tough question, and I know somebody called me after this happened and said, what, what's the solution to this? What is the solution? What can be done? And and I don't know if I have all the answers. I, I really don't. I think I know maybe a few answers. One of the possible answers, one of the possible solutions is for people to have CCWs. Mm-hmm. Um, people like myself, I have a CCW. So I am licensed by the county of San Bernardino to carry a firearm. It's something I really don't even want to do. But I know when I'm ushering at church, I've often thought, you know, this place is basically we're sitting ducks Mm -hmm. in this place. If someone was to walk in through that door, they could literally just mow people down and there would be absolutely no, no, no place for people to run and hide. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the solution. It's important for people who are capable of and who have training in that. Um, And again, it's something that I don't want. I don't even like that responsibility, to be honest, but I take it upon myself because I feel like, gosh, I mean, somebody's got to do this. Sure. I find myself in the same situation where you're kind of thinking, like, what would I do if I was charged with making policy about this? Right. And I almost wonder if we took because the left wants the extreme approach of taking all the guns. What if we proposed something equally as extreme, which would be zero gun control at all? If you want a gun, you can purchase it. You can carry it. Because when we had less gun control, we had far less shootings. We didn't have mass shootings. They weren't a thing. You know, and because most people, the vast majority of people like you and I, we don't want to be slinging a gun 24 seven, you know, we're responsible about it, though. Right. right. And so I don't think it it wouldn't be like the wild, wild west. You know, you wouldn't have people walking down the street with an AK-47 just like, you know. No, no. And it's it's kind of like when I also think about, you know, I, I personally want more information. I want more information on these shooters. And I disagree with some of my contemporaries on the right who are saying, you know, well, we, we need to keep their name private. We need to keep that, all that information. It's like, no, I want to know who these people are. Mm-hmm. I want to know what's inside their head. 
What made them do this? Is there some kind of common denominator amongst all these people? I mean, FBI reports show there's about 70% of these people have mental illness. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, most people that are mentally ill don't commit these kind of crimes either. Mm -hmm. So... You know, is there some something that we can take away uh, from this? And I know the president even alluded to the fact, well, if, if we could have connected these dots sooner, we could have prevented this. I don't know if that's necessarily true either. No, and I think it's really dangerous to have these sort of red flag laws where you can just turn anybody in and say they shouldn't have a gun. I, I see that going the way that like um, Child Protective Services is weaponized, you know, and now they're taking kids that don't need to be taken because, you know, somebody's playing in the backyard unattended over. Oh, we're going to take your kid. But at the same time, another kid is like starving and the, the kids that get overlooked that actually should be in custody. You know, so I, I see that gun control going the same way as that people weaponizing that reporting it that way. But then the real crazies are, are going unattended. Right. No, you're right. And, and I also I know I talked to a member of law enforcement last night and I said, what are your thoughts? He said, well, we could potentially outlaw the sale of AR-15s. And, and I said, OK, well, but would that would that have changed anything would that have altered the, any of these events that we just saw? And he said, no. I'm like, okay, well then what's the point of laws and legislation that will make it more difficult to buy ammunition or buy firearms if it's not going to actually solve this problem? Right. That's the thing. We know that it doesn't work. Well, we're about out of time for part one of the main event. We've got a uh, quick news, traffic, and weather coming up. We'll be right back with more on the main event. Oh, don't you dare Welcome back to the main event. I am Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands. And I'm filling in Fred Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation. He'll be back next week. Just remember, if you have any real estate funding needs, contact Summit Funding. You can reach Ed at Summit Funding at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Back in studio with me is my favorite co-host, Jody Swan, a.k.a. That Conservative Girl. Jody, welcome back. Thank you so much. All right. Um, so our topic number two is doxing Trump donors. On Tuesday, Congressman Joaquin Castro of Texas, who chairs the presidential campaign of his twin brother, Julian Castro, tweeted the names of employers of more than 40 San Antonio residents in his district. These are his own constituents who maxed out their donations to President Trump's re-election campaign. Keep in mind, the federal maximum is $2,800 per individual. So we're not talking about billionaires or mega donors. We're talking about retirees and business owners. In other words, senior citizens and middle-class people with families who are now in danger thanks to Joaquin Castro. The congressman claims he is targeting voters who are quote, fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders, end quote. After some backlash on Tuesday, Castro defended the move on MSNBS. There are people right now that are living in fear, and I don't think the president understands that. I don't think those donors understand it, but they need to understand what their money is going to. You're giving money for somebody that's going after a community, and people have gotten killed because of that. Unless you support mm -hmm. the white nationalism and the racism that Donald Trump is paying for and fueling, then I hope that you as a person of good conscience will think twice about contributing to his campaign. 
Yeah, I think somebody's going to get killed as a result of this kind of stuff. Um, basically, what is he doing? He's saying, hey, Antifa, you can come harass these people. There's a lot of dangerous people out there. I think this guy's this guy, uh, this guy could cause uh, a lot of problems. Well, yeah. And once again, we have such a double standard. I mean, can you imagine if, say, somebody had outed uh, the private donors of Hillary Clinton? I mean, I, lo- I know some of her donors are shouting it from the rooftops, but I thought that um, some of these things were supposed to be anonymous, like well, yeah, how did they even get this information? Exactly. Right. How is this? How shady. Is this even, That's yeah, exactly. super shady. Right. Let's also keep in mind that this is the same week that progressive protesters harassed Mitch McConnell outside his home, chanting demands for him to be murdered. We're at McConnell's house. This think he's about to get some rest. Not if the, kill, the children that you're kidnapping can't get any rest. Not if families are getting murdered can't get any rest. He's in there nursing his little broken arm. He should have broke his little raggedy, wrinkled ass neck. Murder turtle! Murder turtle! turtle. Just stab the mother in the heart. You know, it's interesting. Apparently, he posted, Mitch McConnell posted a video upon Twitter of these protesters, and it was taken down because Twitter (laughs) Twitter doesn't allow for threats on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, except they'll have pictures of like Mark Dice uh, with half his head blown off. Yeah, they allow for that. That's still up there. Um, your comments. It's just interesting that all this is coming from the party of tolerance and acceptance. Right, right. Well, it's interesting as I'm driving over. Prager's comment was maybe some of this needs to happen to them. You know, may- maybe people need to uh-huh. start protesting Nancy Pelosi's house, AOC's house, just to kind of let them know how it feels. I mean, I there's a part of me that agrees with that, but I also think at the same time, okay, now we're now we're setting the seeds of a civil war, right? And a lot of people would say that's been coming for a long time. But I think when we do things like protest Pelosi's house, when people on the right do that, like Laura Loomer did that, you know, she took the guys in sombreros or the day laborers and stuff and went over there. I mean, we do it in a sort of tongue in cheek way. Nobody's going to get hurt. Nobody's threatening anybody's lives, but we're making a point. And that's the thing. You can make a point and you, your voice can be heard without threatening someone's life, without inflicting, you know, physical violence. I got to say, as much fun as it might be protesting Nancy Pelosi's house, I just don't have freaking time. I don't have time. (laughs) Well, that's like Laura Loomer's job. That's like what she does. Yeah, she's a professional protester. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. She goes viral. Like that's her job. She does. We love Laura Loomer. She's like banned on just about everything nowadays. All right, Biden gaffes again. Uh, You know, it's funny because Tucker Carlson doesn't think Joe Biden will be the candidate. Um, I actually kind of disagree. For one thing, the polling shows him still in the lead. And as dumb as Biden is, he's still like better than anybody else, you know? Uh, Yeah. On one hand, I can't imagine a party putting somebody like that forward as their best option. But they they also put Hillary forward. So that's true. That's true. With a 99 percent chance. (laughs) And she had already lost one presidential election. That's right. No kidding. In the wake of the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, former vice president and 2020 frontrunner Joe Biden committed one of his trademark gaffes, actually two gaffes in one. It happened at a private fundraiser in San Diego on Sunday with 75 donors present. present. Ooh, that was a slip. <laughs> although, <laughs> although there's no audio, press pool members who attended the event confirmed that Biden mistakenly referred to the shootings as, quote, the tragic events in Houston today and also in Michigan the day before. Confusing Houston for El Paso and Michigan for Ohio. You know, I get those mixed up all the time, Jody. I don't know about you. Um, Here's a quick review of other Biden gaffes over the years, starting with the most recent. 
You may remember Ed talked about this one last week at the end of the debate in Detroit. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. We have to let him know who we are. We choose science over fiction. We choose hope over fear. We choose unity over division. And we choose, we choose the idea that we can, as Americans, when we act together, do anything. This is the United States of America. When we've acted together, we have never, never, never been unable to overcome whatever the problem was. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. Yeah, the only problem is if you go there, that's not Biden's like official site. It's not a website at all. No, it's not. I don't know what that is. It's no one's site. What is that? It's not a phone number. He didn't even know what it was as he was saying it. Jody, Jody, I want you to go to 30330. Can you go there now? He looked as if he didn't even, wasn't even sure those were numbers. He was just like saying words. It it was bad. The whole closing statement was really bad. It was bad. It was awful. Um, Do we have some more Biden gaffes? we should do is we should challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. <laughs> Wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think about it. Think how we think no, about it, Joe. No, I really mean it. Poor kids are black kids. I poor really kids, mean it. Is it poor kids are black kids or poor well, kids Well, that's are- basically what he said because he said... Poor kids are not as something as white kids. So yeah, he kids. basically was likening poor people to black people. What about poor white people, though? Exactly. There's poor white people. There's rich black people. But who's smarter than who at the end of the day? I don't know. Everyone's really know. smarter than Biden. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Any more Biden clips? Do we have any more? Uh, uh, Chuck Graham, state senator's here. Chuck, stand up, Chuck. Let this is the guy you. that's paralyzed and oh, can't stand up. God love you. What am I talking about? Oh. You don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. My state is anything from a northeast liberal state. <laughs> in Delaware, the largest growth in population is Indian Americans moving from India. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. To play. I'm not not talk- racist at all. No, not at all. What about the Biden singing clip? Do we have oh. Hillary Clinton is as qualified or more qualified than I am to be vice president of the United States of America. Let's get that straight. She's a truly close personal friend. She is qualified to be president of the United States of America. She's easily qualified to be vice president of the United States of America. And quite frankly, um, it might have been a better pick than me, but she's first rate. <laughs> the villages, America's friendliest hometown. The villages, America's friendliest hometown. That was great. And you too can buy Joe's new album, The Village Idiot by Joe Biden on Amazon. That's too good. And that really is Joe Biden, by the way. We didn't make that up. He should be running for a spot on SNL. Not for the presidency. He's hilarious. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of these Democrats got to look at this guy and go, this guy's not going to win. I mean, he's look, he's, he's 78 years old. I don't, and I'm not saying I'm going to be any better at 78. I might be worse. I don't know, but I'm not going to be running for president at 78 years old. Cause it looks like half his marbles are gone now and it's getting worse. He's actually making Nancy Pelosi look articulate by comparison. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's going to raise that much money. And 
And I know Michael Moore made the comment. I don't know if you saw this, but he made the comment that we need to push Michelle Obama to run Mm -hmm. because he didn't think any of these other candidates could be Trump. And he's probably right. But I also wonder, well, why would he say that? Why, why is, if Trump was so doing such an awful job, wouldn't it be easy? You know, good point. Thank you. I'm glad when you Great give me props point. for making a good point. Great point. Well, and you know, my liberal friend said the same thing about Biden. He was like, I don't love that he's almost 80. Okay. You know, and some people does are. Does he love the fact that he's kind of incoherent? <laughs> what does he love? I do. I think Biden is hilarious. Okay. I mean, set aside a policy and everything else. I mean, I can't hear him singing that song without just cracking up. It's, it's, I, but make no mistake, I'm laughing at him. Not we're, with him. we're not laughing with you, Joe. We're laughing, <laughs> we're laughing at you. At you. And what about all the polls, though? Because all the polls show that everybody in that Democrat lineup, including, I think, the crystal lady, I guess, they're all just <laughs> they're all going to be beating Trump, according to these polls. And weren't these the same polls that showed that Trump was going to lose? I know. Right. I know. Yeah. I remember Tim Wong. This it seemed like a smart guy. He's talking about how Hillary Clinton had a 99 percent chance of, of winning. Boy, was he ever Wong. I'm, I know that was awful. <laughs> well, but. yeah. And I mean, that's one of the indicators that Trump is going to win again. Well, I think so. And, you know, for me, there's there's defining moments in a political campaign. And I could be wrong. I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. But there's there's defining moments. And I remember the moment when that panel of Democrat candidates was asked the question, do you support health care for undocumented workers, mm. a.k.a. illegal aliens? And they all held up their hands. Now, it's funny because if you looked at the body language, Biden sort of halfway held up his hand, mm. you know, kind of like, you know, when you put your hand in the Bible, kind of halfway up. The <laughs> others stuck their hand way up. But Biden's was just kind of halfway up. And I thought, we're not that far left as a country. That is the no. dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And I don't know of anybody that would support that. And that, to me, was the moment this whole thing was over. And again, I could be wrong. You can never under- underestimate how stupid people can vote. But <laughs> it seemed like like that was it for me. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? No, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's almost like these people are being governed by an ideology that even they know is BS to some extent. You know, but they're they're going along with it because they don't have the cojones that Trump does to say, no, this is what I believe. Maybe it maybe it's not what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. There you go. It's kind of saying saying what people are thinking, I guess. Um, Speaking of polling, I want to get the latest polling as of right now. So Biden leads with 32 percent support for Democrats and Democrat leaning independent voters, followed by 21 percent for Elizabeth Warren, Liawatha. Uh, (laughs) Do you like that one? 14 percent for Bernie Sanders, 7 percent for Kamala Harris, a.k.a. uh, We got Elizabeth Warren, the the Navajo, Kamala Harris, the Southern California hoe. Uh, (laughs) 5% 5% for Pete Buttigieg, 2% for former rep Beto, Representative Beto O'Rourke, and 2% for Cory Booker. But there's, that's only like seven people. So I guess the rest of the 20, however many people are running, they don't even register at 1%. Yeah. You know, in 2016, we had so many like amazing Republicans come to the forefront and there was just this bevy of choices. Right. right? right. And I thought, wow, we are in such a good position. What a good problem to have. Like so many candidates and they were all really good. I loved Scott Walker. I love that, you know, he dropped out early. But, you know, we just had a lot of people that were really good. Carly was so good. It, it was just like every, you know, then there was some, you know, people that weren't. But for the most part, we had a lot of strong people. Yes. And it's like the Democrats have also put forward like a lot of people, but they all really suck. Yeah, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. And I don't, I, I don't even think 
I didn't think Michelle Obama could win. I think I think if I was to give some advice to the Democrat Party, it's like you need to get Oprah on the phone like right now. <laughs> I mean, really, Oprah, uh, who I think would probably also lose, but I think she's got a better chance than any of these people. Yeah. And number one, she's got a billion dollars, a couple billion probably. Yeah. Number two, she's got star power up there with Trump's. Um, she's a pretty intelligent lady. She's very successful, but I don't doesn't look like she's interested in running, even though there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, rumors floating around there early on. Yeah, well, both her and Michelle have like vehemently said they are not running. And why would you if you were that, you know, if you had that much money and you could just, you know, be on your private island all the time? Why would you run for just, president? Just hang on to the private island. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, they're not. Trump has done something incredibly selfless because he was in that position. He was in the position where he could just retire, enjoy his grandkids, enjoy the wealth that he had worked very hard to build. And he decided not to. He decided to lose a lot of money. He decided to become, you know, a target for for leftists. And he decided to put himself out there in, in what could have been his golden years and fix the country. You know, it, it, the the left, you don't have anybody on the left that's going to do that. No, and, and you're right. It's cost him money. It's cost oh, him money. Not only so that, much money. Yeah, and you're right. It is a sacrifice. And not only is it a sacrifice for him, but it's a sacrifice for his family. Yes. Because they're being dragged through the mud as well. I yeah. mean, when you, have, when you have talk show hosts on late night TV calling your daughter at the C word. Yeah. You know, I say that word about Michelle, Michelle Obama's daughter. I'm gone. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and people are getting away with that. I mean, having, your fan, having Don Jr. having to testify about this stupid Russian garbage <laughs> for like eight hours straight. You know, yeah. Your own son's being dragged through this garbage now. I wonder if there's any points where they're thinking, God, I should just not even bother. It's just more than what it's worth. I mean, the pressure's got to be unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Nobody nobody on the left is going to do that. No, no. I, I, if, I, if they're sitting pretty, they're just going to sit pretty. They're not, they're not going to do that amount of self-sacrifice. Right. I mean, and when these people say, you know, Trump is making these decisions because of business, because he's going to make, you know, money off of them. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this guy has lost so much money by being the president. And by the way, he's working for free. Like right. financial game, it's not the name of the game for him, you know. No, you're right. And of course, one person that I find, I do find interesting on the Democrat side is Tulsi Gabbard. And I've seen her, she's a sharp gal. She mm-hmm. does have a military background. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her on Tucker Carlson. And there's a lot of things she says that make sense. She talks about censorship from big tech. Apparently, she is suing Facebook because Facebook took down her ad, wouldn't let her run campaign ads. It's interesting the left seemed to have something out for her. Part of it is she has this kind of anti war message, which doesn't jive with a lot of people on the right and the left. Mm-hmm. She wants to get us the hell out of the Middle East, which I agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, and and it's interesting because when she went after Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris's approval ratings within the black community went from like 20, 27% down to 1%. Mm -hmm. I mean, recently. So it's definitely had an impact that little, that little, you know, thing that that happened during the debate where Mm -hmm. she went after her. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, and I could be wrong, but my theory is Biden's the candidate. Tulsi Gabbard could be the VP choice. He would definitely need somebody like her. She can't, he can't have another stupid old dopey white guy. No. That's not going to work. No. 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 no, 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 no. The fact she's a female, the fact she's um, she's an ethnic woman, she's got mm-hmm. the military background, and she doesn't com- come across as pretty sharp. Granted, her policies are out the window. I mean, if you really want to hear her talk, she goes off on, 
you know, how the law enforcement is unequal against minorities. I mean, she has a lot of really dumb ideas. She'd be a dangerous person to have in the presidency for sure. But of the candidates, she seems to come across as one of the more articulate people up there. Yeah. And I think she um, her name recognition is small enough. I, I think candidates like to sign sort of pick somebody out of left field that no one was expecting, you know, to run as their VP. And kind of like she, a Sarah Palin type, maybe. like a Sarah Palin. Hmm. Yeah. And she's she's literally like not even on the polls. She's polling so low. Um, and I, I spoke to one of my liberal friends this week because huh? I wanted to everybody talk- should have a liberal friend. Everyone should have, have a liberal one. friend. And let me say this. I have a tremendous amount of respect for this person. Okay. So I, he is as good a person, probably better than, than anybody I can think of. So, you know, we just have polar opposite political views. Right. But I wanted to ask him um, to sort of get the opinion of like your everyday Democrat voter, not like a celebrity or, you know, and he didn't even, you know, so I asked him, you know, what does he think of these people? And he didn't even say Tulsi. And one of the things that he likes about Mayor Pete, besides the fact that he's married to a dude, is that um, sh- he likes that Mayor Pete has the the military background. And so so I was like, why not Tulsi? Like, she's not even a thought in people's mind right now. So I, I think that maybe she would be enough of a wild card that somebody could put her on the ticket. Yeah, well, I'd be. I think it would be a good running mate for Biden. I honestly do. I mean, he's certainly not going to pick Kamala. <laughs> not after she's been going after him. I don't think that was who my my liberal friend really liked. And, he likes okay, Kamala Harris. Yeah, he, he does. That's his favorite. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. It, you know what's crazy? One of the things that he likes about her is like he likes. Has her- she slept with Willie Brown to advance her career? <laughs> uh, he didn't say that. He didn't. Okay. Uh, he likes like her presence and like her she your, her talking points and her mm-hmm. look and her stuff. Her you know ability to come out with a point and you know i don't know make waves kind of okay and that's me paraphrasing and you know what's so funny is i wrote so many columns about that you know when she would go off on these tangents that when people were testifying before congress and it it, it was clear to me that she was only trying to go viral she was only trying to get her name out there and and her face out there and Lo and behold, it's worked. Well, you're right. You're right. Well, she's look, she's a political animal, like like all the rest of those people yeah. up on that stage. Yeah. Yep. I'm still a big Amy Klobuchar fan myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, the, the person that nobody even knows who the hell she is. I'm surprised. I thought she was dangerous because she Amy was Klobuchar? so good. Yeah, because oh. she was so good. Like when I saw her doing town halls and stuff, she was so good to me that I was like, this woman is dangerous. She oh. could actually maybe win. Okay. But so, so. The good she's news is even, that she's not even on here. She didn't even register. <laughs> so I don't know where, you know, yeah. less than 2% doesn't even show up in the polling. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry about her very much. Yeah. China trade war. The trade war with China has escalated this week, starting with the Treasury Department formally accusing China of abusing its trade relationship with the United States by manipulating its currency, something Donald Trump was saying long before he was president. In retaliation, China allowed its currency to fall, triggering a sharp drop in the U.S. stock market. After both the market and the currency stabilized Tuesday, the president tweeted massive amounts of money from China and other parts of the world is pouring into the United States for reasons of safety, investment and interest rates. We are in a very strong position. Companies are also coming to the U S in big numbers, a beautiful thing to watch. Um, look, I'm definitely in favor of tariffs, and I have personally seen examples of how China rips off intellectual properties. We actually, in the bicycle world, mm. so we sell, and a lot of the stuff we sell is from China, unfortunately, but there's a brand of bike called Pinarello. It's an Italian brand, yes. right? And they, in China, would make these fake 
Pinarellos. Oh. He's ripping off the, the Italian technology. Yeah. But the, the nerve of these companies, the bicycles, they, and they're fake. They're fake bikes. Mm-hmm. The quality's garbage because sometimes people bring them in to have us work on them. They actually have the nerve to put Made in Italy on the fake Pinarello bicycle. Really? Yeah. So they're fake bikes. You can tell because the frames are crooked and the handlebars snap sometimes. And it's just a disaster. But that's one example that I'm personally aware of, of China ripping off other intellectual property. In this case, Italian. But but they do it all the time. So Mm -hmm. I say tear off the crap out of China. Bring them to their (laughs) economic knees. We can crush them economically. Uh I think long term, this is going to be a good thing. Your thoughts? I think so, too. And I honestly believe that Trump's got it under control because he hasn't let us down thus far. You well, know? that's true. That's true. I, I used to worry. I, I used to think, oh, geez, oh, geez, what's going to happen, you know, with the North Korea thing and with the Russians? And there were so many things. But at this point, he has proven himself time and time again. He's got it under control. I have full faith. Good. Here's one topic that Trump doesn't talk about. And you brought it to my attention, which is the minimum wage going to $15 an hour. Mm. Um, I, you know, this this to me is something that people on the right don't talk about. Maybe they're afraid to. As a business owner, I've got roughly about 20 employees. I have some people that are minimum wage employees. I think this is arguably one of the dumbest things that Sacramento and in this case, New York has ever done. It's going to be highly destructive and we're going to see a lot of bad things as a result of it. Your thoughts? Well, just this week, I think uh, we there was a re- uh, Breitbart had a report of about New York. Their businesses are closing right and left now because of the, the minimum wage. And, and the business owners, here's the thing, the business owners are speaking out and saying, we told you this was not something that we could withstand. We told you this was a bad idea from the start. It's still a bad idea. We're closing our doors. And at the same time, Democrats, as if there's some authority, you know, these people who have never owned a business or anything like that, or just, you know, it's been decades since they've had a real job are saying, you know, we need to raise it. We need to raise it. And once again, they are on the wrong side of this problem. No, for sure. And and small businesses, by the way, that employ like 80% of people in the private sector um, are going to be hit especially hard by this. And some of these businesses, by the way, they're just hanging on by a thread. And it's not like there's this infinite amount of money that's in a payroll account they can just keep pulling out of. One interesting number that I calculated in my head, if you're a small business, you have 10 employees at $10 an hour. When minimum wage goes to $15 an hour, and let's assume these are all full-time employees, that means an extra $100,000 coming out of your business. Where does that money come from? And, and if, if it's not there, what happens? People are going to get laid off. Mm-hmm. You're going to see the cost of everything going up. So we're going to have inflation mm-hmm. and, and also more automation. You know, I mean, this is pushing right. automation going forward. And this is, this is not good. I mean, basically, these small businesses are the lifeblood of any community. Mm-hmm. And when you do things that are going to cripple those people and they just go away, they're not coming back. And I'm the one that, again, I employ people who are just out of high school or, or exactly, you know, even in college. Know. This is not to support a family. This isn't gateway into the workforce. No. Yeah. No, no. I think you're absolutely right about it. The minimum wage is never meant to support a family. It's for your first high school job. It's, go, you know, putting yourself through college. It's not meant for when you have three or four kids. Right. All right. Well, hey, thank you all for joining us on the main event. Thank you, Jody, for coming in with me. Oh, it was my pleasure. And we'll be back next week. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. California DRE ID number 1012658. Arizona MLO license number 0926439. Branch NMLS ID number 1841782. Summit Funding Incorporated NMLS ID number 3199. Arizona license number 0925837. Equal housing opportunity. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.